Look at your hair. Look at your hair and makeup and everything. I, it's like, thank you what's for going noticing. on here? I have watched so many beauty tutorials as a coping mechanism. And yesterday I was like, I'm going to Ulta and I'm spending $100. So the foundation is too light. I've watched enough videos to know that I look a little ghostly, so I'm gonna go later and get more foundation. Yeah, always, this always is, never never skimp on foundation. This is coping. I mean, this is all co like this is all coping. I had my lip wax today, guys. It's been a moment. Okay, wow, I'm doing it all. You. Look, at, are we are we recording this? <laughs> <laughs> it's gold. Uh, it's gold. And my chin. They did both. So yeah, wow. I mean, I just want it to all. I don't know. It's it's all coping. You're so I either, glam. I either look like this, or I look like somebody just like got the shovel out, dug the grave, and I just like <laughs> throw open the coffin door. Welcome to the Mocking Cast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts Sarah Condon and R.J. Heyman. We come to you every other week to discuss a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us. My tooth whitening company that I have not ordered teeth whitening kits from, but of course I've given them my email and my phone number. So they regularly text me, let me know that today's Earth Day. So happy Earth Day, guys. Oh, I think we're in a thin Earth place Day. today, right? Isn't that what the Celtic Christians say? Is that why? My, it, it, is that why it's this? <laughs> my son went to school in a green shirt today to celebrate, and he came home throwing up. So happy Earth Day. <laughs> that is a metaphor for everything. Isn't it? About the environment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! The Earth is not your friend. I know. Was Was Earth Day a thing when we were kids? I don't. Um, I, I don't. I remember. I mean, in not in school, Mississippi, no. But I went how to about one of the first. I went to one of the first Earth Days in New York City. I, I probably have the T-shirt. So my mom probably has a T-shirt stored away somewhere in her attic. But yeah, mm. I got an Earth Day T-shirt probably like thirty years ago. Does that sound right? Wow. About when it started? I know. Yeah. I know. It always just makes me think of Earth Song by Michael Jackson, and that's a good. That's actually for me. That's a great thought. But for some people, that's a horrific thought. So. I don't know that song. Earth is that one Sing of his deeper day. cuts? What about sunshine? What about rain? What about all the things that you said we were to gain? Yes. yes. It's, uh, okay. It's one of his okay. like major uh, anthems that was huge in the rest of the world, but uh, at but that point, here. America had either was, gotten wise or just decided that it was, was squashed by, by, the by the petroleum lobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, how are you guys doing otherwise? What's, um, what's the latest? What's happening there? Sarah? You know, uh, went with my brother and cleared out my parents' house completely this past week. Um, oh so we're going to put it on the market, which is kind of wild. Made an offer on a house in Oxford for a little vacation place for us. So I'm basically a real estate mogul now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it's just a weird, like, uh, excitement and also just like the saddest sad I think anyone can have all at the same time some days. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, it's just it's intense. We're we're living in an intense moment right now. So it's been weird. I mean, without saying too much, like we've had in our church community several cancer diagnoses. Uh, a really one really scary one, and you know, loss. And it's uh, I was saying to Josh last night, it's weird how we have gone through so much loss and then suddenly like we're seeing our community i just feel like god has kind of fixed us in this moment for this moment so anyway we're mm-hmm. you know we're okay gosh the condon uh, family family year just continues trucking that's right that's Keep right on trucking what about you rj i'm doing really well we have a uh an event at church a newcomer event tonight that like 80 people are coming to rj which i'm really excited about we, that's we've so good a, yeah are they aware had... that you're the rector they're not. No, I mean it won't laugh. They're going to come and be like, "Hi!" But they're waiting for the real priest to show up. I told him that he would be there. Or You're she not would be there just tonight. the usher. She will you... be there. Yeah, that's right. She'll be there tonight, and they can meet the real deal. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm good. I've, I've had some really just wonderful church moments recently. Oh, um, so I went to baptize um, this this baby at someone's house, and the whole family was there, and I kind of know the family well. And uh, the the godparents were this couple that I married, uh, I don't know, like six months ago that were going to have a bigger family wedding, but then like everyone got COVID. So it was like me and the two of them on the beach, Um, but got to know them well. And they were the godparents and we went through the whole, you know, service and made all these promises and and said the creed together. And at the end, um, the bride, who was one of the god, the godmother, the the woman that I married turned and said, um, will you baptize me too? (gasps) You know? RJ. And uh, it was just really good. Just really good. And there's been a, a lot of little moments like that recently, you know, just reminders of what um, what a joy it is to do this work and what a privilege it is to, you know, um, be present for moments like that, both moments of joy and honestly moments of, of pain, moments of honesty and reckoning. And um, it's been really good. So step yeah. one, get get on the news. Step two, <laughs> yeah, step two. get on television. No, 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 no. Back it up, back it up, back it up. Step one, look Steel like a Kennedy. Pants. Look like okay. a Kennedy. Step yeah. one, look like a Kennedy. Well, you know, one of the things that you just notice over the years as we do this is like, you know, when one is up, one others are down. And yeah. um, RJ, I'm glad to hear that. I've been there, baby. It has not been, been an easy couple of weeks for this guy. And, no, um, Dave. We, uh, my, I've, some listeners know my father's been quite sick and in the hospital. Mm. I've had to go help with that. And um, just we've had a, a couple of really terrible, you know, tragedies locally in our church that have been yeah. hard to deal with. And, um, you know, it's one of these things where just like, it just feels like I, I was telling someone this morning, it feels like I'm, you're living in that, that song by Spoon called Everything Hits at Once. Like it's just, mm. you know, one of those weeks. So, I don't know if that's good or bad. If it's a thin place or a thick place, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I honestly don't care. I just sort of want to be out of it. But it's, yeah. It's yeah. what's happening. And so that's what's kind of preoccupying It's a me. sucky place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sucky place. It involves listening to a lot of, um, you know, intensely emotional music for me. But... I thought we'd begin, we've got some great things to talk about, speaking of emotional music, because, mm. spoiler alert, Justin Bieber makes a big appearance in this episode. Holy moly. I mean, a really big, uh, this is, yeah. hold on to your, your seatbelts. Um, but first, uh, an interesting little sort of opening article that I saw in the Washington Post, a bunch of social scientists uh, um, 
uh, reporting that we instinctively add on new features and fixes when we look at problems. We don't subtract. They say, across a series of studies that were published this month in the journal Nature, we demonstrated that when people are asked to change or improve something, they tend to overlook the option to subtract parts. Now, their opening like image is of uh, our generation, which when we were learning how to ride bikes, we most of us had uh, we were on tricycles or had training wheels that were then taken off. Today, you learn to ride a bike by being on what on a balance bike, which yes. is which has less and it's much more effective, like a, yeah. a ton more effective. So I mean, unless you're Andy Condon and you still haven't learned how to ride a bike, but yeah, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yes, well, that's an important caveat. Um, <laughs> we asked research participants to make changes to design essays, recipes, itineraries, structures, even miniature golf holes, and Episcopal Church liturgies. I'm just kidding about that last part. Um, (laughs) Our studies showed that people's first instinct is to change things by adding. When they're able and willing to think a little longer, they're perfectly capable of finding subtractive changes, but they usually don't think longer. They quickly identify an additive idea that is good enough, put it into action, and move on. They say overlooking a whole class of ideas is problematic. Imagine all the advantageous subtractions we might be missing. We've all heard reminders about this category of improvements. Omit needless words. Less is more. Keep it simple, stupid. But the advice is worth little if we don't think of it at the right time. (sighs) Doing more feels good. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of... um Uh, When I'm decorating, when I'm like doing interior decorating, which I'm like really bad at and um, how I'll be like, you know what this room needs, the art section at Target, you know, like I'll just it and like my friends will come in who actually are good at it. And even my husband is very I mean, it's just so much of that is being spatial, which I'm not. And, and they'll take things away and it will feel so much better, but I don't have that ability. My mother didn't have that ability either for the record. Like it was, I've just inherited the, the, the rainbow color palette of everything, uh, in one room, but it's, it makes me think of that, but it's funny. It also makes me think of, um, you know, because we clean their house out completely, um, I'm not adding any more to my life. That's been a very overwhelming thing for me is every time I've had to go back to Mississippi, I bring back more to fit into my house, mm-hmm. which is kind of awful, honestly. Um, and so I don't know. There's some relief in that. It's, it's also like, I don't know. The letters are what gets me. Like I found more letters at my parents' house between my grandmother and my great grandmother. And I was just, and I just like, like fell completely apart. I was just like, I cannot believe that there's more of this that I have to deal with. Mm. And my brother who is male, I'm just going to name it male. (laughs) And like 10 years younger was like, he's like seven or eight years younger. But anyway, younger was just like, why do you feel like you got to do this? just so like let it go and um I don't know I still couldn't but it was like nice to know that like someone could actually even think that way about Mm. all this stuff you know subtracting you mean yeah like he was just like if we didn't know it was there why we got to worry about it I'm like that's a good point you know (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh RJ do you find this is uh something do, do you tend to solve problems by adding or subtracting or have you ever had an example of that second one? <laughs> well, just this year, yeah. When you know, at first when church shut down, everything got very simple, and we were recording services. 
then we were, uh, you know, recording audio services, then video services, then live streaming. And then at some point, we're like, I was like, okay, we're going to do a drive-in service. We're going to do a live stream service. We're going to do an in-person service. We're going to do drive-up communion. We're going to do <laughs> Rector's Forum via Zoom. We're going to do the high school group via Zoom. And just did like everything. Yeah. You know, everything I possibly could think of to do to stay connected with people, which was helpful for a while. But then after, you know, but then certain things like the attendance started to dwindle and I, it was hard to cut back, but I did. I think... You know, this is maybe specific to church work, but it's probably a lot of things. It's always hard to let things go when there are people who are invested. In them. Oh, yeah. You know, and if you're if you're in churches, a lot of churches um, have. Well, some churches have very few ministries, but a lot have a lot of ministries, and some of them are kind of like sort of holding on because there's one or two people that are just super invested or because they remember someone who was super invested and who's now passed away and it feels like to yeah. stop doing that thing would be dishonoring to their memory. And so I think it's um you know it is it's important to recognize that things have a life cycle. You know they're 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 born, they flourish for a while and then sometimes they need to go away and like that's that's okay. It could be painful, but and it's not a um, reflection on the efficacy of whatever it was in the first place. No, it might have had a great That's right. Um, and I, I think about this in terms of, you know, we're, we're about to launch a new website for Mockingbird, like a brand new It's so new pretty, Dave. I meant to overhaul. tell you that. I saw that. It's just beautiful. <laughs> well, we've had to think seriously about, we wanted to combine a bunch of things like here's the magazine yeah. over here and here's the podcast and here's yeah. the, you know, the books and the conferences and, um, and then, but the, the, the much harder thing is to take stuff away. And to yeah. figure out how to streamline, how to make it, 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 all the buzzwords about web design are all like clean, you know, white oh, space, yes. spacious, yes. streamlined. Yes. And it's yes. sort of like, well, you need to have some content, you know, you can't, right. just, you can't just be like have a blank page, pure Sweden <laughs> or something, but it's, it, you get white people <laughs> like white stuff. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I've just found it to be something that's. It takes a lot more thought, actually, to figure out what can be condensed, what can be taken out. And I also think about, frankly, in things like writing, you know, there is that Stephen King is always saying, you know, take out every adverb after you've, like, written. Just go back and just mm. nix 90% of them. Um, mm -hmm. And that writing is so much harder. Uh, the editing process I've, is... It's a lot easier, for example, to preach a 25-minute sermon than it is like an effective eight-minute one, I, I've, I've found. Oh, but, totally. But people remember the brevity is such a, uh, or maybe um, subtraction is is undervalued as it relates mm -hmm. to or how we actually experience things, you know? That is one of the nice things now about preaching every week is I, I feel less pressure. Like I want every sermon to be good and powerful, but I don't feel like I have to say absolutely everything every week. Yeah. You know, there's there's a little bit more. It's like, okay, if I don't get it, you know, I've got next week. Praise God. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> if I, totally I blow agree it. With that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and like I think with maybe it's just having small children around, but I think that the, the process of like basically throwing their stuff out all oh, totally. the time is uh, it's I'm gonna give so a shout easy. out to Jamie Heyman who's amazing at that. I mean, really, but it really, is she's like RJ, don't you look in the garbage can? Do not look in the garbage. <laughs> You'll want to take I'm the just stuff like, out. You can't give this away. Come on. No one <laughs> you know? tells you when you become a parent how like throwing away stuff is gonna be like a solid 20% of your time. Like it's crazy <laughs> how much you're just like getting rid of stuff. Um, yeah. Stuff On a related note to the sibling piece we will discuss, I mm -hmm. went through Annie's books last night with her and anything biblically related. She was like, get rid of it. <laughs> I was like, all right, second born. We'll do. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> um, 
Well, let's funny. move on to that because it's a really it, Time Magazine. Lynn Berger, writing in Time Magazine, wrote uh, a long sort of um, uh, essay article about birth order and uh, uh, does birth order really determine personality? Here's what the research says. But before actually I start reading, both of you, I realized, are oldest children. Yes. And I am a heck yeah. I'm a middle child that over the years many people have said to you're a classic middle child. And I've they've used that to say con- conflicting, you know, contradictory things, you know. Um However, this is what she, she writes. She says, I was the first child in our family. I was also fearful of failure, neurotic, a perfectionist, ambitious, undoubtedly to the point of being unbearable. My- check, check, yeah, right. check. <laughs> My sister didn't study as hard and went out more, worked at every trendy bar in town and spent many an afternoon in front of the TV. I'd long attributed the differences in our characters to the different positions we held in our family. It seemed to me, all things considered, better to be the firstborn. You had to work harder to expand the boundaries of your, your parents set for you, had a greater sense of responsibility, more persistence, and emerged in the end more self-confident. Now, from where I'm sitting, that's a classic first first child thing to say. It um, does. I've that, literally said that to my brother before. <laughs> such an asshole. Okay, keep going. Don't you wish you were like me? Um that uh, theory worked in my favor, but during my second pregnancy, I started to feel sorry for my son. Through no fault of his own, he'd missed out on the enviable position of firstborn. She goes on to say, Apart from a few royal families, primogeniture is no longer the norm in Western countries. Somewhere in the course of the last century, most residents of industrialized countries became convinced that love, attention, time, and inheritance should be divided equally and fairly among our offspring. And that's what my partner and I strive to achieve, equal treatment of our two children. But we can't get around the fact that first, second, and subsequent children have slightly different starting points. The question is what consequences that has exactly and how insurmountable they are. Then she goes into what is called the birth order effect. According to Alfred Adler, the eldest identifies, uh, who wrote about these things very early on, the eldest child identifies most with the adults in his environment and therefore develops both a greater sense of responsibility and more neuroses. The youngest has the greatest chance of being spoiled and is also often more creative. All children in the middle, and Adler was a middle child, are emotionally more stable and independent. They're peacemakers used to, sh- used to sharing from the start. Then he says, I guess it's well-known factor that people talk about over dinner parties, that firstborn children are over-represented as Nobel Prize winners, composers of classical music, and funnily enough, prominent psychologists. Oh, uh, the worst. Subsequent the worst. children, on the other hand, <laughs> yes. were more likely to have supported the Protestant Reformation. Yes. <laughs> and the French Revolution. Yes. Uh, One of the reasons uh, belief in birth order effect is so persistent, perhaps, is because it's so easily confused with age. Pretty much everyone can see with their own eyes that older children behave differently from younger children. And there's a good chance that a first child, when compared with a second child, will appear more cautious and anxious. It's just that this difference probably has more to do with age than with birth order. She she cites a bunch of studies that have have done huge amounts of look into sort of the link between personality traits and... um, birth order, and they've really found very little correlation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then she says, uh, all the circumstances in which a child comes into the world, whether they're born male or female, in war or peace, into relative poverty or absorbent wealth, end up making a person who they are. But the birth order effect seems to particularly enthuse and preoccupy us, perhaps because it's so concrete. It's rather more satisfying to attribute a baby's generous smile to the fact that he's a second child than to a vague interplay of personality, environment, expectations, and discernment. And this is my favorite part. 
to close. And perhaps that's also what makes it so tempting to attribute the effect to ourselves. It absolves us for a moment of the responsibility for who we are and the duty to turn ourselves into what we want to become. My being neurotic isn't my fault. It's just because I'm the oldest. (sighs) What do you think, Sarah? First of all, I think firstborns love birth order stuff and none of the other ones do. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. we're always like, do you know that we've won more prizes? Um, <laughs> so I think that's like I'm, I've, I have in the past and I should really call my brother and apologize for this. Been very obnoxious about this. And then I, I will try to like console him by being like, well, secondborns are like the revolutionaries. And he's just looking at me like. What are you talking, like, what are you talking about, you know? Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's funny to me, like, the thing about Annie getting rid of her religious books, because, uh, you know, I have, I could be wrong, but, and I'm probably wrong, but Firstborns, I have read Attached to Institutions, so religious institutions, very easily, where Secondborns tend to question a little bit more, and in my own kid's spirituality, like, I do see some of that, which maybe is projection, who knows, what I, what I also want to say, though, is I do think that, like, given what I've been through, I can honestly tell you that all of this, like, birth order stuff, I think, is now absolute garbage. Hmm. Because when my parents died, I was like, it's going to be me on a wing and a prayer. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm the oldest, and I know more stuff, and all this kind of stuff. And then, like my brother has done everything, everything. Like I've like taken letters from from between grandparents and, you know, my brother has just at every point and also just like this, you know, I totally feel like I discounted him in some ways. Like he worked at a law firm for several years. Like he like, whereas like I work at what the church, what do I know? Nothing, you know? And so he immediately was like, this is the way this letter needs to be written. And this is the when we need to call a lawyer and all this stuff. And I was just like, Oh, you're like, like, you're like a real person. You're like, I have someone we can give cupcakes to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just was like, not, I was not helpful. I mean, he has been the driving force in us being as far along in this horrifically God awful process as we are. And so Mm. I take back everything I have ever said about being a firstborn. I really do. Like I've just been astonished um, at what an asshat I am naturally. RJ, what are your thoughts? Classic, classic. I I was going to say, I think that's a classic first child thing to say. We are, we are asshats. I remember the first time I heard about birth order stuff, or I guess we were doing a, a, a unit on like, the fa- families or dysfunctional families, either in middle school or high school. And I remember them talking about how often in families you'll have the overachiever. You'll have the sort of peacemaker or politician. You'll have the lost child. And you'll have the mascot. Oh, the lost child. Kind of, you know. And I, and I remember thinking, the, or, or sort of the problem child a little bit, and then mm, have right. the mascot. And at least in our childhood, Daniel. I'm one of four boys. <laughs> no, he's he's the mascot. Daniel's the ma- he's the best storyteller. He's the funniest. He tells the best jokes. He's the youngest, you know. And it kind it, it was crazy because it kind of fit really well with me and my four brothers. Um, you have three. You have three de- brothers actually. 
Yes, I'm one of four. Mm-hmm. Thank you for. I'm also 44 years old, not 46, just, just as FYI. I said a few a few months ago <laughs> on the podcast. Thank you. I'm I'm also dementia setting in. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but look, we found a then, new brother recently, so you do you, RJ. Who knows? I will. I, you know, I may, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's I another haven out there, honey. Let's not let's not be, discount you know, it. Okay. Hillary, let me know. Uh, that, that's that's my mom. Um. And then with our kids, you know, we sometimes we do kind of joke because I'm a firstborn. My wife is a firstborn. Obviously, we have we have a firstborn, then kind of a secondborn or younger child, and then our our littlest is almost like an only child. Totally. You know, and it is it is definitely true. Like we had our parent teacher conference for our four year old the other day, and he's very smart and very defiant, um, and very funny. And his teacher says it's like having another adult in the mm. classroom. You know, he's more comfortable with adults than he is with with kids his own age. And that makes perfect sense because yeah. of his, you know, where he is. So um, I don't, I never, I don't know if I've seen being, you know, I don't, I never brag about being a first child. I think I'm aware because all the things they say about being neurotic, yeah. you know, uh, burdened, overachieving, you know, guilty, you know, shame, <laughs> ashamed, guilty. That resonates yeah. with me, you know, and it is also true. I also think what you said about your brother makes perfect sense to me because we firstborns are also really bad at asking for help. We're yeah. used to sort of being able to do everything ourselves. We don't work collaboratively. And like my brother, um, second born, is a wealth manager and is the executor for like, you know, he's in charge of all my parents, everything, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. wills and everything yeah, because Aaron. he's just, yeah. he's just more even keeled and responsible yes. than I'm. And, and honestly, less self-centered. Yes. You know, <laughs> like yes. he, he, uh, he, he cares about other, other people. Um, so hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, I go back and forth. I, I would never. <laughs> I, I mean, I nev- agree with the same for me, RJ. I just <laughs> well, totally agree with all priest, of you. You guys are a friend yeah. of mine. He's more Hil- compassionate Hillary- than I am. Yes. <laughs> A priest friend of mine once said, whose name is Hilary Berkovici, who I who I love, who's a priest and a Jungian analyst. He asked me what my Myers Briggs was, and I said, "Oh, ENFP," and he said, "Oh, so people think you care about them," and I was oh. like, "Oh, that might be true." Some <laughs> now, Enneagram think, Three energy. I do. I do actually care more about people than I used to, but yeah. uh, but it's still. Um, you know, my mind is always going in a million different directions. So all that is to say, you never want to pigeonhole any anybody. But I do still do think it's a little—it's a little interesting. It is. Interesting. Yeah, I think that it, there is something interesting to it. I mean, I've always thought of firstborns maybe because my family just works a little differently than yours. But it—I uh, feel for them. I, I always think that they—the the burden of the law falls hardest on um, the firstborn, and yes. uh, and that so. I see when she says more neurosis and then on the like out of the other side of her mouth says, and that's why it's great to be a firstborn. I was like that uh, in my experience, no. it's like there's a lot of suffering involved in that. And so yes. you want to, you want to um, really pump up the compassion there. I, I also think it's just birth order stuff is, is it, it, it is a little like personality tests and t- all these sorts of typologies yes. that are so popular. Because Enneagrams. We're just right. dying to know. <laughs> Horoscopes. The, the question is, hey. <laughs> why am I the way I am? Like, I want to know. Yes. Like, what is it? What And anything that can sort of tell me, why is it that I'm like this? Uh, we want to, we're going to grab hold of that. And in the, in the way that she mentions it, sort of, it's a way to absolve yourself. Like, I just can't help it. I'm, this is, or I'm just have a compassion second person. for yourself. Well, I, yes, I hope it would be a way to have compassion rather than yes. the way she talks about it is almost like it's a justification for um, 
you know, negative personality traits. It's like, I just, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm just, just I'm stubborn. That's the way I am as a firstborn, you know, like, well, well I'm fine with justification. So. <laughs> I, it does. It is interesting though. Cause this stuff is so popular and, um, you know, whenever people talk about astrology, I'm sure I've said it on here, but it always makes me laugh because my dad was an editor for a women's magazine and he thought horoscopes were such BS that he just like wrote them because he wasn't willing to pay someone to write them. So like, it's so made up y'all. <laughs> but, um, I, I think like as a, just as it's an interesting theological thought to me that we really are. How did you put it Dave? We're looking for a way to understand ourselves or kind just of, why am I like this? What, what? Yeah. Is- and it's like, wh- that's such a good question. And it's, it's like, I think that is why, <laughs> I mean, I hate to be like the world's worst salesperson for our religion, but why Christianity is for everybody because it actually yes. gives an answer that applies to everybody's life. Like, why am I like this? Well, cause I'm a sinner. Like, where do I find my place in this? Well, through like this Jesus who came into the world to, to rescue like you, you know, not just us, but you, this very specific, um, God, I don't know. So it's like, I, there's something interesting to me there. I'm like, I'm just now thinking of it. So obviously not sorted out, but, um, it's, it is like, that is the question we're asking ourselves in some ways as much when we look to the cross as when we look to the Enneagram, it's just that like the Enneagram, uh, feels, um, a little made up sometimes as much as I love it. And, and, you know, and the cross is this, is this definitive place that we can go to to understand why we're like we are. And it's also immensely popular because it keeps us talking about ourselves, which is, you know, our favorite subject, but it's ultimately, let's just do the whole episode on this topic. No, I think primarily the popularity of personality types and that the entire genre from from astrology to enneagram to birth order stuff is usually a an attempt to answer a core pain of like yes. I, it's not why am i like Absolutely. this because i'm so great what accounts for yeah, how no, awesome no, no, i no. am it's yeah. always it what the real <laughs> question is why am i not the person i want to be and i wish i could be instead yeah. i'm like this and the truth is it's because why can i not relax in my case yeah. it's like well i had a rebellious older brother and i had to sort of overcompensate and i had a like a, a, a you know a, a brilliant younger brother and i had to sort of you know overcompensate for his yeah. you know and 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 there's a lot of when they say Middle children are peacemakers. I always think of like more like people pleasers because they're having to make up for the mistakes of the older of the of the first child. Though, then again, people look at middle children and say, "You're the you're the you're the um, insecure one." Like that, you get that a lot too. Like you just you don't know where you stand. Um, my wife's family, uh, her her my my father in law comes from three children, and, and he is the youngest and the best. Well, we always joke that he's the most well adjusted, mainly because he was parented the least. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah, just yeah, sort of yeah. forgotten about, and that ended up being by far and away the best thing for him. A blessing. Um, and so, it, again, it has nothing to, it only has to do with birth order because it has to do with like parents that were not very interested in parenting at, by the time the third one came around. So, anyway, it's interesting stuff. Any other th- thoughts before we move on? I mean, I do want to say it's funny. I thought RJ was going to say this because you said the best thing anyone's ever said to me about birth order because we worked together when I had my daughter. And that was, and but this was before you had your third, that you and Jamie realized that there were basically three firstborns at the table. Yes. And one second yeah. born when you ate dinner. And that yes. your younger son 
um, just took more time, you know, yes. when he ate and, and that there was this observation of like, he helps us slow down a little bit. Yes. And that is, I mean, I, I actually, the birth order stuff, I think it can be applicable. I think it can be interesting, but like only if it's used for good, you know, especially yes. in our parenting and in our relationships with our siblings. Um, and it was such a positive, I think of that probably once a week because our daughter is like the slow eater that just wants to like talk and sing while she's sitting there. And, you know, we're all just like, get it done. <laughs> Move it so, along. A hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. And that, that yeah. you guys all essentially need to learn from her. She's having a much, 100%. much better time. <laughs> yes. yes, she is. Uh, yeah. Her digestive track is a lot happier. Probably. Well, let's move yeah. on to the heart of the matter, which is this week, singer, superstar, um, tattooed Canadian, uh, Justin, uh, Justin Bieber. This is an article called The Redemption of Justin Bieber by Zach Barron and GQ. And it comes to us from someone named uh, Emma Jill uh, Ruxalit. Uh, or rucks a lot. I, I'm probably getting that wrong. And um, to say that it's a, a great article, um, it's it's well it's, it it's well written, but it's it's mainly. I'm just gonna say it. It's because of what Justin continually says in the article. And, yeah, it's his quotes. And I was not. Um, I was not prepared. So there's my own bias or prejudice or whatever. I just or simply ignorance, because this was um, a confrontation with um, not just self. Uh, knowledge, but a, a type of wisdom almost that is was I was blindsided by because I just don't expect it in coming from this corner, and that's why I love it. So um, the, the the interviewer immediately, and I'll stop a couple times because there's a lot to read here. Uh, he is blown away by how um, professional. Justin is. He says that he's the empathetic professional in this interaction as he goes about trying to help me understand how he's arrived where he's arrived. Justin says, I'll answer as best I can. As for who he was in the not so distant past, hurt people hurt people, you know? And there's a quote. I'm trying to remember it. I don't know if it's biblical, if it's in the Bible, but I do remember this quote. The comforted become the comforters. Mm. Today, he thinks of himself as a comforter in part because he knows what it is to have been the person who needed comfort so badly. He asks himself now, how can I be of service? The new music, the inspirational messages he posts on Instagram, the deliberately calm manner in which he goes about his days, all of it is addressed in some ways to his younger self, to the kid who was drowning and felt like he'd never be saved. Justin Bieber wants to save that kid now. He wants to talk to him. He wants to tell him not all is lost. And then we have the aside um, from Zach Barron. He says, you do not need to feel sympathy for people like Justin Bieber. People who ask for attention, money, fame, as many people do, and actually receive all three, as most people don't. Now, let, we're going to tackle that particular, what I would call slightly obnoxious it's rejoinder. It's the worst part of the article. <laughs> it's the single worst part of the it's article. It's awful. Like, yeah, like I was with him until then, and I was like, what are you, what? What? Why? Okay. Um because he seems like really sympathetic. Okay. Yeah. He said, she, he, uh, Zach Barron writes, we as a society are all too familiar with what happens next to kids like Justin Bieber. Being famous breaks something in your brain, especially when your fame comes as a result of your talent from the thing you've loved and nurtured and worked at since you were young. Bieber earned his success while he was still a child. Then his gift turned into a snake and bit him. How do you become a good or well-adjusted or normal person when you don't have access to a single normal thing in your entire life? You can't. You don't. He says now, 
it was like I had all this success and it was still, I'm still sad and I'm still in pain and I still have these unresolved issues. And I thought all the success was going to make everything good. Well, what was it worth if I'm still feeling empty inside? And so for me, Justin says, the drugs were a numbing agent to just continue to get through. So we're going to, he's going to, he's going to talk about what got him through for real. But before we do, what do you guys think of that initial part? I mean, I just, uh, I do, we do have to talk about the, the interviewer side because it, yes. it, it hit me and such. I was just like, no, this is like, this is like when people go to wealthy churches and they're mad at everyone in their church because they have money. Mm-hmm. It's like there are broken people everywhere. It also like kind of hit my mom like buttons because I just kept thinking, you know, if you walk into any pre-K four classroom and you ask the kids who, who do you think the best answer is? They all raise their hands. Like he was a child the way that everyone else is who like was obviously very gifted and was obviously put in these circles where he was raised up and raised up. I mean, that's kind of a powerless situation. So for him to be like, don't feel bad for him. I'm like, I, you know, if you give me long enough, I have the capacity to feel bad for pretty much anybody. Like no one is a shithead because they planned on it. You know, I don't know. Mm. I just, it, it really bothered me. It also was just interesting to me, the contrast be- between, Justin Bieber's ability maybe also to see that everyone is like they are for a reason, mostly beyond their control and what it is about his life that has made him think that way versus the guy who's interviewing him who clearly does not have that context. Mm. I mean, that was really telling to both me. clearly firstborns. Just kidding. Clearly. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%, Sarah. And it's this like sympathy Olympics, which is just a dead end game. Because yeah. especially the Christian in me is saying like, it's precisely the people that we don't feel don't deserve our sympathy that yeah. should, we, should, we should be most willing to give it to. And if yeah. that, in, in this day and age, that might be the multi-gazillionaire, um, but obviously troubled and tortured uh, pop star. Because from where I'm sitting... Uh, and we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again. But like to grow up being Britney Spears or, you know, oh, Elvis Presley Macaulay Culkin. or Macaulay Culkin is it's a curse. It's it's a, it's a curse. It's, Michael it's Jackson. absolutely a curse. It's a death sentence. And it's yeah, like it, it is. There's no um, it, it's the classic. We all want it. But no, you actually it's the worst thing you could you you, don't. worst you, you could wish on your worst enemy. Yeah. And so if anything, it is kind of miraculous that this guy is alive in any and kicking. It is. Kick no, I was just saying, yeah, I mean, to be one of those people means that you've narrowly escaped a death sentence. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's essentially what that means. Uh, well, RJ, what do you think? Well, it's definitely kind of a, a secondary theme of today's podcast. The, um, the resistance that there is in our culture right now towards showing empathy or mm-hmm. any kind of permissiveness, because it's like, no, we, you, you can't let anyone off the hook. You know, you got to make sure that they're, they're being held accountable. They're being held to account, you know, they're, that, that even, you know, we'll talk about this too, I'm sure, when he starts to talk, when, when Justin talks about grace and forgiveness, you know, the grace that he's received, the author again feels the need, and that to me, to me was the worst part of this article, to say like, now there's very, you know, it's a very short jump from from grace to, what does it say, impunity? Yeah. Is that what he says? Grace to impunity? Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, like, no one's going to get out of here alive with that kind of talk. Right. Like, you're, it just, it talk about a purity spiral, mm, you right. know, like, like it, uh, 
Yeah. So I, I, I think I've told this story before, and you can cut it if you want, but my first like real job in ministry, I was working part-time at this church in California in a fairly wealthy area. Oh, I, I love went to this go story. Meet. I know the story. You but told you like it that? to me. No, Sorry. you told me we were in I the office it. together. I don't know if you've told it on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, I went to go talk. I was, I was this young kid straight out of Berkeley, you know, very sure of himself, and I went to go talk to the head pastor, and I, I went in. I was like, gosh, it must be so hard to be here with all yeah. these wealthy people driving their expensive cars, and they just don't care, blah, 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 blah. And he looks at me, takes a deep breath. He looks at me and says, RJ you got uh, two problems. One is you still think money matters, mm. and the other is that you have no respect for people. Mm. And uh, I th- and I'm pretty sure I wept in his office, mm-hmm. um, but he was a hundred percent right, and I'll never forget that. And he just said, "It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. These people are hurting, mm-hmm. and you don't, and you also don't know what they're doing behind you. You you judge them so quickly, yeah, so quickly. Yeah, yeah it it is definitely the the um, underlying discomfort I have with all of the talk of privilege today, um, because it is. I think while it's very you know, it's important in a, in a blind spot to not be aware that you're born into with, at different starting points, you know, just like a firstborn, a secondborn, a thirdborn. There are things that you're, you're um, you know, um, benefiting from that you're just not even aware of. And yet, uh, what it can oftentimes be is a way of saying um, you're not actually suffering or you are not um, deserving of any kind of... Um, sympathy, you know, any kind of grace. Yeah. Or you shouldn't, you shouldn't be. be. If you are, you shouldn't be. And so be. There, there, yeah. you just, it's a, it's a thin line to be used. It's like, well, I can withdraw my, any desire to love you or any inclination to try to understand you. Uh, cause that's really hard anyway. It's, it's hard with anyone, uh, but mm-hmm. I can, I can say that cause I just, you know, I, I've said this before. I worked as a youth minister with prep school kids in the Northeast and, you know, the amount of suffering, maybe it's self-inflicted or generational or whatever you want to say. These are not happy people by, by, right. by and large. In fact, you know, I, I was with a cab driver, um, a Uber driver in Orlando, and he was telling me how he was, went on a mission trip to Rwanda. And like, he's never experienced people who were, had so little and were so content. And that's almost like a, a, a cliche at this point, but it's, it's a true cliche. It's a tr- cliche because it's true. Hell, well, it's, you can go to r- it, rural Louisiana and see people who have very little and are content. Like it is a true cliche. Yeah, I mean, I just c- come to meet with me to, you know, East Hampton and I'll show you some miserable, <laughs> some miserable sons of bitch. You know, like, (laughs) well, it's what it's what Dave Chappelle says at the beginning of Sticks and Stones. You know, the uh, the Netflix special says, "Let's not forget that Anthony Anthony Bourdain hung himself in a in a luxury French hotel." Yes, this man who had like the most amazing life, the most amazing job you could ever possibly imagine. And he killed Sarah. That's you wrote about it when it happened. Remember what you said? You said we were not made to be famous. No, we're not. Game, set, match. I I just think it's the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, let's talk about what happened to Bieber because this is where hope lies. Biebs. Two things brought Justin Bieber back ultimately, his marriage and his faith. And what they had in common was that they were value systems that didn't depend on him performing in exchange for money, or you might say for love. If you ask Chance the Rapper, one of Bieber's best friends, why he and his friends seem so happy in an industry that tends to grind people to dust, he will answer without hesitation, both of us are secret sauces Jesus. Justin doesn't fake the funk. He goes to Jesus with his problems. He goes to Jesus with his successes. He calls me just to talk about Jesus. Then Zach says, it is beautiful to hear Justin Bieber talk about God. Bieber says, Mm. he is grace. Every time we mess up, 
God's picking us back up every single time. That's how I view it. And so it's like, I made a mistake. I won't dwell on it. I don't sit in shame, but it actually makes me want to do better. And then that's where the, the irritating, uh, you know, editorializing oh. comes in. And perhaps this is convenient. Bieber has done a lot in his life that needs forgiving. And an ethos of total acceptance. Unlike me. Oh, right? Unlike, like, I'm like, unlike you. <laughs> no. An ethos of yeah. total acceptance can be alarmingly close to an ethos of total impunity, of being right in your deeds, no matter how bad or dark or uh, selfish they are. I wonder if his editor made him put that in. Or it's just so it feels a little tacked like on. a modern day Pharisee. Ugh. It feels tacked on. Ugh. Seriously. But let, let's... People want to... There's no grace out there, man. Bieber, per, no. Bieber's the one preaching to this guy, and I, I think it's getting through. Because he says, he says, I came to a place where I was just like, God, if you're real, I need you to help me because I can't do this on my own. Like, I'm struggling so hard. Every decision I make is out of my own selfish ego. So I'm just like, what is it that you want from me? You put all these desires in my heart for me to sing and perform and to make music. Where, where are these coming from? Why is this in my heart? What do you want me to do with it? What's the point? What is the point of everything? Mm. What is the point of me being on this planet? And what happened when Bieber asked for help is that someone or something answered. He suddenly had a certainty. If God forgives me and he loves me and he set these things in motion, if he put these desires in my heart, then I'm going to trust him. The voice in his head, the voice we all have, telling us we are less than or not good enough or that our mistakes have rendered us beyond redemption, Justin says that voice spoke up and it said... You are forgiven. I mean, what? The what, what, you gotta, what else you got to say? It's like, <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I was. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Beebs. It's. Uh, There's going to be one less lonely girl. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, do you have a favorite Justin Bieber song? Or do you have a. Oh. Do you, is this. I mean, I'm really into the song he just put out with Chance the Rapper right now, I'll be honest. The Holy. Uh, Holy, holy! Do you guys know that one? I don't. He did it on SNL. No. It's really beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know I really like his music. Um, I follow him on social media, and um, you know, I mean, you know, I think the relationship he has in his marriage. I mean, it didn't surprise me to say see any of these things because it's kind of how he talks about her. Um, but I just love how. Christianity um, at its absolute best can make us so jarringly honest mm. yes, about ourselves and about our fallenness and about God's grace. Living like, in the light. It's such a remarkable thing, you know, and it's so like, uh, it's so not what the rest of the world expects from us. Um, I mean, I uh, would not compare myself to Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> But I do know that people will say to me sometimes, like, you're just so honest. Like, you just say, you know, and I'm just like, well, I don't really have another option. Like, I, this has so captured me. I mean, the message of the gospel has so captured me and given me so much freedom. Like, I don't have to be, like, proper about anything anymore. (laughs) I don't know. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It just, and that, of course, is means something different in his context. But, yeah. That's, I bet it, it, it almost, because it means something in his context, it could mean something in my context too, Yeah, you know, because his context is so out there and so extreme yes. that if he's a person that needs God and in fact experiences God as savior and for, in a moment to moment relationship with, uh, yeah. you know, with Jesus, uh, yeah. then perhaps Jesus has something to say to me and, and, yeah. and cares about, you know, 
some of us who haven't, you know, been in front page news in or tabloid, you know, fodder right. or something like that. I don't know. There's right. there's something about his um, outward sinfulness that he can't hide because it was all documented so intensely that yeah. I think that's also and um, the, not only why he's probably partly why he's drawn so much to this the gospel of grace, but um, it's 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 part of the reason why I'm able to hear it more because he can't hide. He can't he can't gloss over what he did in 2017, you know, or who he, who he threw under the bus or all these things. Yeah. 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 He also talks yeah. in there about a pastor, not the Hillsong guy who we've talked about before, but he talks about another pastor who he, who he says, um, he realized one day he had sort of known, but he realized he was the only person in his whole orbit who had never asked anything of him. Mm. <laughs> and that oh. was why he wanted to go and like talk to him and hang out. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. it probably wasn't immediate. This guy, this guy was probably very praying for Justin and wanted to have a ministry to Justin, but he, he was, it sounds like he was faithful and, and patient and just sort of allowed Loved him. this realization to come up, come upon Justin. He was like, Oh my gosh, everyone, I'm a, I'm a means to an end for everyone in my life, except for this yeah. guy who seems to see me as a human being who might actually be in need of things himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was struck when he said uh, the two things that had saved Justin were his marriage and his faith. Yeah, because it's not—it's not his marriage and its faith; it's his wife and Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's, it's not, true. It's, it's, Let's it's, be specific. It's not it's some, really. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not an institution or it, a head no. trip. It's Honey, like marriage two, ain't two... saving nobody. <laughs> no, no, oh, God. that's right. It's his. Yes, yeah, so I was struck by that. Um. Um, I was just thinking of uh, Justin Bieber. Recently, we were sort of flipping through some station, and he he allowed Comedy Central to do a roast of him, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, I mean, those are super body and obviously, like, up my alley and no one else's. But um, I know none of you Christians are watching them roast on Comedy Central, but... It was very, it was very funny and everything they always are, but it was so fascinating to see this. I mean, he's, you know, this great looking like mega star, super talented guy, just let people make like really raunchy jokes about him. And he laughed and he hugged them. And, you know, I mean, I don't know you guys, like that's my kind of Christian that like will let people do that stuff. And then like talks about Jesus in this way. Like, I just find that very compelling. It's a relief. It's like, oh, like we can be funny and we can have friends and we can know the grace of God. And, and you know, and actually like this is what freedom looks like. Yes, Sarah, I, I had that thought too that, you know, Jesus in the Gospels, when he first shows up, he, he's always he's always saying um, that the time has come, the kingdom of God is near or here, repent and believe the good news. And, and Christians talk so much about what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of God means, how we're going to build the kingdom of oh, God, yes. or we're partner with Are God, build the kingdom. Are you a kingdom builder, RJ? Ex- yeah. Well, um, according to the I local hope. news, yes, very much Are so. Are you yeah. a Lego builder with your son? That's <laughs> yeah. probably as close as you'll get. Classic, classic. <laughs> but, it did, but it does strike me when I read this, and I've thought this about... Um, you know, other like Mr. Like Mr. Rogers, yeah. or the encounter that John Boehner had with Pope Francis, that there is something about when the, the 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 grace of God captures someone and creates this kind of transparency and honesty and openness and love. It's like that right there is where the kingdom of God is, and it's like I yeah. just want to be there. Yes, I just want to be where Justin Bieber is, yeah. with nothing to lose yeah. and nothing to hide. Yeah. And full of God's love, you yeah. know, like that is, and it's it's gonna, you know, it's gonna come and go, right? It's not the end of his life. It's gonna right. things, you know, he's a human right. being. It's gonna of go course. up and down. But there are moments when it's you get this glimpse 
of what life could be like and what it's going to be like. And that's that's where I want to be. Like, that's where I want to be a, a citizen of. And I know it will be someday. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, I it's, love that. It's, a, it's kind of, it's really powerful. And I just want to draw, draw attention once again to the fact that we've, we've oh. spent 20 minutes talking about Justin Bieber and how uh, blown away what you are. I, I, I didn't... I don't know. I I remember seeing some clip where he starts singing Here I Am to Worship or something in one of his concerts mm. and all all mm. like the, the youth ministers of the world like pounced on that one. It's like, see? Um, but this evinced a level of um, of suffering and uh, humility and um, gratitude and, and of, 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 under, of God as grace uh, that I was just, yeah. I'm grateful for it. I want to just, let's just say it, it's, it ministered to me. It's so, it's so unassailably You're good. Right. He is my kind of as Christian. And I had no idea. I just want to say yeah. that, <laughs> which means yeah. there might be others out there too. <laughs> right. There, there might, might be. be. Uh, yeah. Well, let's, let's close with something that's very, I think uh, blew me away as well. And this is um, John, Newton, not the uh, pastor in uh, Austin, who's our friend, but the uh, who we love, we love very much. We do love. Hatch, uh, yes. you know, shout out to Saint Michael's. Um, yes. But John Newton, who wrote "Amazing Grace," the uh, hymnist, and um, he was the former slave uh, owner who helped uh, William Wilberforce, and he was just an incredible man. And uh, some younger clergy, uh, a fellow minister, um, wrote to. Or I guess I guess Newton found out that this young man was about to write an article criticizing one of his colleagues uh, for a lack of orthodoxy, and so Newton wrote uh, a letter to him. And I'm going to read parts of it because it, we are living in a world of uh, not only the the callouts and the cancellations and the Karens and the everyone correcting each other nonstop, but um, we we see that. I think among Christians, uh, just it's it's so virulent and um, and omnipresent and really upsetting to someone like me. But the, he he wrote this, and I think it stands up. And I'm going to only read a part of it because he, he sort of breaks it down to three cautions for this younger man. He said, "If you account this other person who's erroneous, uh, a be- if you account him a believer, though greatly mistaken in the subject of debate between you, the words of David to Joab concerning Absalom are very applicable." Deal gently with him for my sake. The Lord loves this man and bears with him. Therefore, you must not despise him or treat him harshly. The Lord bears with you likewise and expects that you should show tenderness to others from a sense of the much forgiveness you need yourself. In a little while, you will meet in heaven. He will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have upon earth is to you now. Anticipate that period in your thoughts. And though you may find it necessary to oppose his errors, view him personally as a kindred soul with whom you are to are to be happy in Christ forever. And then he kind of drops the hammer. He says, whatever it be that makes us trust in ourselves, that we are comparatively wise or good, so as to treat those with contempt who do not subscribe to our doctrines or follow our party, is a proof and fruit of a self-righteous spirit. Self-righteousness can feed upon doctrines as well upon, as upon works. And a man uh, may have the heart of a Pharisee while his head is stored with orthodox notions of the unworthiness of the creature and the riches of free grace. This is just like the, the disposition of grace versus the doctrine of grace we were talking about last time. Yea, I would add, the best of men are not wholly free from this leaven and therefore are too apt to be pleased with such representations as hold up our adversaries to ridicule and by consequence flatter our own superior judgments. 
Controversies, for the most part, are so managed as to indulge rather than to repress his wrong disposition. And therefore, generally speaking, they are productive of little good. They provoke those whom they should convince and puff up those whom they should edify. We find but very few writers of controversy who have not been manifestly hurt by it. Either they grow in a sense of their own importance or imbibe an angry, contentious spirit, or they insensibly withdraw their attention from those things which are the food and immediate support of the life of faith and spend their time and strength upon matters which are at most but of secondary value. This shows that if the service is honorable, it is dangerous. What will it profit a man if he gains his cause and silences his adversary, if at the same time he loses that humble, tender frame of spirit in which the Lord delights and to which the promise of his presence is made? Your aim, I doubt not, is good, but you have need to watch and pray, for you will find Satan at your right hand to resist you. He will try to debase your views, and though you set out in defense of the cause of God, if you are not continually looking to the Lord to keep you, it may become your own cause and awaken in you those tempers which are inconsistent with true peace of mind and will surely obstruct communion with God. Wow. John Newton, everybody. <laughs> Austin, Texas. Uh, yeah. such, it's such a, it, is such, it is such a good word. Yeah. And it's... it's Without being too self-righteous, it's a helpful word to me too because sometimes I feel like a sellout or like maybe I should be angrier, maybe I should be more contentious, you know, maybe I should fight harder or something like that. Um, and I, I just I love the way he the, I love the way he says it. I think it's very in line with the new with the New Testament, you know. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I really feel like I sort of came to orthodoxy as a young adult and that that wasn't something I was raised with as a priority in the church of my upbringing. And frankly, that there was a lot of kind of wishy-washy theology that got thrown around me. And so I remember when I started to like come into this being very obnoxious when I would visit my parents. Um, Cause I was like, what have you guys been doing? Um, you know, completely like negating the fact that they both grew up, you know, in really restrictive Southern Baptist small churches in Mississippi. And were just happy to be somewhere that, you know, didn't tell them they couldn't dance. Um, <laughs> and, over the years, I have felt that soften, um, that sense of self-righteousness around this idea of who's in and who's out and who's orthodox and who's not. And, you know, while I in some ways feel like I found orthodoxy, for lack of a better word, through Mockingbird, um, I also feel like Mockingbird was a place that taught me to be gentle in it and taught me to be reflective in it. Um, and I'm very thankful uh, but I would say that, I mean, also just their deaths and I, it makes me think of John Newton and how much death he probably saw as someone who dealt in slaves and enslaved peoples. Um, I think, I think once you've seen, I mean, this has definitely been my experience. Once you've seen death up close, the last thing you want to do is create more of it. Hmm. And I think when we live these lives as, you know, sort of professional religious people, professional Christians, 
um, we can quickly be death creators when it when we you know feel like we need to be divisive and do we think Jesus is weak? Mm. Do do we think we have to defend him? Do we think that's what he's asking for us to do? I don't know. I just I it it just feels like creation of more death in a world that's already um, frankly happy Earth Day, but on fire, you know. <laughs> Happy Earth Day on fire. Happy Earth Day on fire. <laughs> no, I, I, That's in the parentheses. <laughs> I hear I hear you 100%. I mean, it's, it's what yeah. wears me out, you know, mostly probably over the years is this sense of, um, you know, there's the, the criticism. I mean, I that that feels like what's disturbing is when you when you when you sense that the person has no um, awareness of yeah. how um how 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 ineffective what they're it's almost like a little embarrassing because yeah. um you're like have you really lived so little that you don't know that people don't respond it, it's it's the internet writ large the people that are going to like the the controversial writer are the it ones is. who already yeah. agree with them and the ones yeah. what it's going to do to the people that don't it's just going to it's just going to push them further away. And I, I happen to still believe that kind of like, you know, bridge building is, 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 is an art and it's like a rare one. And how can we do that? But especially, you know, I just am no longer, um, when I hear culture war narratives about the threats to the church, coming from outside. I don't want to downplay the fact that there's a lot of resistance to grace like and, and, and to, to sure. Jesus. People don't like it. But in my personal experience, the church needs zero help in uh, uh, creating more death of its of its kind. Like zero yeah. help. And, yeah, zero help. Like, <laughs> she all good, y'all. <laughs> we, <laughs> she done took the classes. That's a, she done doing the yeah, work. Sorry, that's a not a very uplifting thing. I mean, maybe maybe no, you're but, appearing on the local news and, and uh, everyone's saying how great of a job you're doing on uh, at building up the kingdom. But uh, not all of us are RJ. experiencing that. I know. From moment to moment. Jeez, personal. <laughs> Holy moly. Dave, we will send a camera crew over to your house if it's going to make you feel better, honey. Please do not. Please do not. Yeah, Dave, if, if you haven't gotten enough press, Dave, oh, let me know. God. Okay. Maybe I can put I together just, a promo for you. I mean, for me, even in the, even I heard in the that. incident I recount, I'm just like... I think, I mean, I believe in bridge building. I think all these things are really important. I also don't want to lose relationship. Like, it's deeply sad when that happens. But also, like, I'm not sure we're really building a relationship in what happens on the internet. You know, I mean, that's the thing is, like, it's this piece is so timeless and in so ways out of touch, right? Because it's, like, we totally relate to what he's saying. And and also, like, he didn't have the internet then and somehow it's still, you know, it's still it's applicable still exactly or something. exactly the same. Yeah. You don't need the internet to do this. You just need a magazine. It's That's true. all you it need. It turns just, out yeah. the internet did not create self-righteousness. That is true. <laughs> or virtue signaling. Or, virtue signaling. or <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or puffing up oneself. No. At, 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 it just made it a lot easier. Yeah. No, I will say, Sarah, my most favorite thing is when someone posts something on Facebook that you know they're trying to start like really start a fight yeah and they have like three likes oh i, kn- you know? I know and, yeah and like yeah because you know anyway. everybody's just like whoo honey we are not like, no thing yes. is this what i need right now is this what, i don't think this is what i need right now rj do you have anything else to say as someone who i actually honestly i do consider you to be very ironic in a way that is um exemplary and i know that 
I, I hear I oh, hear what you say so and that you're you sometimes feel like maybe you're not standing up for your the truth or something. But I, I feel like well, you, I will say I spent I spent a lot of years doing that, you know, and it was not terribly productive. You know, I did like my, my beret wearing large yes. cross bearing days in, yes. in high school, you know, when I ate lunch every day alone reading my New York Times. So fun, um, RJ. It's amazingly Good fun. God. Amazingly First child, fun. like no, extravaganza. It's like, sorry, yeah. it's like, it's like newsflash, newsflash, you're not going to change anyone's mind. Yeah. Like you're not. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't be always talking about what you're against. You got to be talking about what you're What's for. You're for? You got to be talking to, to broken, hurting, yes. sinful people yeah. who, and who then might somehow, by the grace of God, have an encounter with Jesus and, and see a little bit of, uh, a little bit of healing yeah. who God you know? is like, for. I mean, that's the thing is like, yes. God is for those people, you know, wow. I just, yeah. yeah. Remember what, uh, yeah. I just always think of what my brother John says that self-righteousness is so much more toxic to the spiritual life than self-indulgence. And, um, that's what mm. this basically uh. saying here is that the problem with, with the, the controversy courting or the public correcting of other people is that it eats you alive? It doesn't. It doesn't do. Oh, it almost does nothing to the other person. If if it maybe yeah. causes them to click unfriend or something, but for the most part, it's it's corroding your actual uh, spiritual <laughs> uh, life. And that's a, that. That's. I don't think God. Um, I think that no. is, is sad. And and it's also yeah. it's creating anger and self righteousness. And, and it, God forgives us that. I mean, I think that there's nothing beyond yes, the pale here. But yeah. I just love what John's saying because it, it just makes me think like I'd rather be like fat and faithful than self-righteous and skinny. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I love that. He's totally right. Like indulgence is is has never done as much damage as self-righteousness has. Self-righteousness. Nope. Yeah. Well, yeah. on that note, now that we've figured it out and we have the oh, answer thank here. thank God. Yes, that's I'm right. Go we have all the answers. Yet again. Watch some yeah, Real Housewives. The, 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 the first children of Mockingbird uh, have okay. straightened everyone out. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us for more pro tips and, uh, you know. Oh, my <laughs> word. Yeah, not parenting tips. So don't ask us for any parenting oh. tips. Well, thank you, yeah. guys. And the Lord protect us all from this spirit yeah. of, uh, you know, yes. yeah. of, of, of toxicity. Um and uh, thank you for joining in today. May we all be more like Justin Bieber. Yes. Amen. That's a good word. He does not come off yeah. as self-righteous. That is for damn sure. He does not no. And all. that's mm. it, it, no. it, the, the degree to which he doesn't is also the degree to which he's compelling. And the guy who's writing the yeah. article is saying it's beautiful to hear Justin Bieber talk about God. Talk about Even God. though Ooh. I'm not a believer, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Well. Yes. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks (laughs) be to God for you guys and for Justin Bieber. And we'll talk to you you, uh, soon. All right. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Well, that was fun. Oh, God. Running to the altar like a track star. Can't wait another second. There's a way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me. Feel so holy. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.embird.com. And we'd always love to hear from you at info at embird.com. Audio production for The Mocking Cast is provided by TJ Hester. And if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>